Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. This morning, it's kind of a little bit in-house. We're just talking as a church, we're going to look at a subject. Next week, you saw in church news, we're talking, we're leading towards Vision Sunday, which is next week where we all get um, the vision for the church and we get on the path, on the train tracks that we were talking about in church news. But as we're leading towards that, there are some things that I want us to talk about. And this morning, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do a tag team preach, aren't we? We're going to tag team this morning. Tag. So... Um, Sarah's going to bring part of the message today, and I'm going to bring the second part. But we've called this the faith combination. I spoke on it a year ago, um, and we did it just before Mission Sunday. It should really be a few weeks of teaching, but we're going to cram it in today into one day of teaching on a subject that really is important to all of us. But the faith combination... In order to have the blessing of God on our lives, in order to have the power of God in our lives, to have the anointing of God through our lives, there are some qualities that we can take and we can attach them to our faith. And then God uses that to unlock his blessings and his power and his anointing. There are some really important qualities that we can learn, we can take and learn and to attach them to our faith, like love. Love is an amazing thing that if we learn the power of love and we attach it to our faith, the outworking of in our lives is amazing. Integrity. If we take integrity and we attach it to our faith, it really has an amazing outworking in our lives and in our families and the people around us. Humility is a great one. If we can live with humility and live a humble life, and we attach that to our faith, God does amazing things with us through that. And generosity is one of those things too. The faith combination, powerful things that we can add on to our faith. I don't know if any of you have heard of the expression plug-in. If you've got a piece of software on your computer and you get a plug-in and you attach that plug-in to the piece of software, the piece of software does way more than it did if you didn't have that plug-in. And that's what I'm talking about when I say the faith combination. We take it and we attach it to our faith. And then God does some amazing things. So we're going to preach two messages to you this morning. Sarah's going to go with the first one. I want you to really welcome her as she brings the message. The genius of generosity. Are you ready for this? The genius of generosity. Thank you. I was right here. Okay. Yeah, so... I think, obviously, Julian's just given us a nice introduction there, so might have given away the answer. But if we think about one of the main components of God, the characteristics of God, or, you know, ways that we can be more like him, we might think, you know, it's his compassion, maybe it's faith, maybe it's love, maybe it's um, joy, any of those things. But actually, in the Bible, so love is mentioned approximately 700 times in the Bible. We know that that's a super important component of God's characteristic and a characteristic in us as Christians. But actually, um, generosity, and that's what we're talking about today, is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. And one of the most important ones, you know, I'm going to come to, but 
first of all, when I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the generosity of giving our time, our resources, um, you know, just thinking of others. Um, maybe you've, well, the Bible says one's got an extra coat and he'll give it to somebody else, you know. So it's just that generosity, just having that mindset and that characteristic of generosity and being generous. So, um, one of the very first Bible memory verses we all learn is John 3, 16, yeah? So we, lots of us know that. For God so loved the world that he, he gave, exactly. And he didn't just pay his way out using money. He didn't just pay our way out by, you know, buying our freedom with gold, with cattle. You know, the Israelites did that for years, didn't they? They, they sacrificed. But God, for the ultimate sacrifice, God gave his only begotten son. And it's, again, it's one of those scriptures where we can all know it, and even non-Christians know it, but it's just getting back to that thought again, that God loved us so much that he gave the most precious thing and sometimes we can think that we've done God a favour by giving up two hours on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone patted themselves and go, brownie points for me, I came to church this week. God gave his most precious commodity, which was Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, um, very quickly, I'm just going to go through so I can give Julian um, some more time. Because they always say ladies talk more, but we're going to let Julian talk more this morning, aren't we? That's all right, darling. <laughs> so generosity honours God. So I'm just going to whistle through some scriptures, which are really exciting. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 13. And this is from the NLT version, the New Living Translation. And it says, As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. So I love that. Again, it's, you know, we heard prayer the other week speak on obedience. And um, how do we know the fruit of something? As we said, it's so important, isn't it? It's not just about saying that we are something. It's about proving that. It's about having that fruit. And here, this scripture shows us that it's the generosity to them and to all believers that will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. So there it's a really, you know, we maybe we think, oh, we should be talking about evangelism. Well, actually, generosity is an amazing evangelistic tool. A couple of years ago, last year, we, we did the Christmas shop as a church. And it actually blew people's mind because they wanted to donate. They wanted to give money. And we just kept saying, no, thank you so much. Actually, Salvation Army are down the road. If you want to pop your coins in there, give it to them. But we just want to bless the town. And it was really quite hot. Like, people were really like, what? 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 Like, what? And then in the end, we had to get a food bank bin just so people could feel like they could give something back. But our heart as a church was really just to be generous. And to us, that was our form of evangelism. And again, we had amazing fruit from that. We had the prayer tree. We had, you know, people really connect with God. But the, the initial outlay was just generosity. That's what the team of people covering that shop went out with a mind to do was to be generous and the town really appreciated it the beach hut was the same on uh, in the summer it was just a generous act that really caught the imagination of the town and we really saw that that was a way of sharing the gospel it was amazing so yeah it was a really great way to to prove the good news of Christ also our purity is again we look at the change that Christ has done in us and how it can be evidenced in generosity 
Because, you know, when your heart and mind is changed truly by Christ, it's really hard to then not become generous. And I love this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he properly puts them in their place. And he says to them, purity is best demonstrated by generosity. Now he was having a go at them because Jesus had come in and he hadn't ceremonially washed his that was a hard word to say, washed his hands, which I'm like, oh, Jesus, that is a bit gross. You probably should have washed your hands. But anyway, they weren't worried about the hygiene. They were worried that he hadn't gone through the religious workings of, of showing that they were clean. And he really told them, you know, because the Pharisees were so worried about sitting at the right place in the synagogue. They were so worried about going through the the protocol, again, not because they really cared about themselves or about anyone else. They just wanted to be seen to be doing all of this thing. And Jesus is like, actually, none of that matters. Like, don't worry, the best place in the synagogue, all of that purity, real purity, and a changed heart in Christ, in a changed heart in God, is demonstrated by generosity. So Jesus let them know in knowing uncertain terms that he wasn't interested really in the rest. And then Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honours him. And again, we can just read those, but let's stop and think about that for a moment. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his neighbour. Well, what does that mean? Maybe it's just turning up your nose at somebody. Maybe it's just, you know, actually, I'm not going to spend any time on you because you clearly look poor. And we hear the other story, don't we? The warning against the church leaders that welcome the people in their glamorous robes and welcome them to the front and say, come and have the best seats. And then the poor person, they just leave at the back and they kind of ignore. And that's not God's heart at all. I remember a preacher once in America, or maybe have to find a clip one day, and it was amazing. He dressed himself up as a homeless person. He dressed himself up and he kind of made himself a bit smelly and put on a beard, tatty clothes. And he came and sat at the back of the church and nobody spoke to him. And actually, people moved away from him. And everyone's at the front getting a bit twitchy going, where's Pastor so-and-so? Where is he? We're like, where's he gone? And anyway, they were saying, right, well, Pastor is coming to bring the message. We're just not quite sure where he is at the minute. And with that, the smelly old man stands up at the back and walks to the front. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, rugby tackle him. What's he doing? And he reveals, no, it's me. But none of you spoke to me. You're queuing up to talk to me after I've preached my message and when I, on a Sunday morning, but because I came in like that, you all ignored me. And it's a really, you know, we might say, oh, I'd never do that. But it's, it's just those scriptures are in there. And this was written by the wisest men, man that lived, wasn't it? And whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. That's huge. Who wants to insult God here this morning? I really do not. So God, let me make sure that I'm not oppressing a poor man. But he who is generous to the needy honours him. Amen. And I love this version. This is, in, this is the message version. I told you, Scott, where are you? That I was getting all the, all the translations in this morning. So Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy will get smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others, others is abundantly blessed. And those who help others are helped. 
And I love that. Not only do I love it because it's got the word stingy in it. Everyone say stingy. Isn't that a fun word to say? Stingy. So, and, but it's so true. Oh my goodness, I don't want to be known as stingy. And actually that, it can be quite easy. And when you've got that mentality of I haven't got enough... And, you know, as Julian said, the purpose of life isn't just to go to work, earn your money, think of ways to spend it or worry about ways of how you're not going to stretch it and then go and do it all again. Because at the end of life, you know, and this is what they say in the, in the um, end of life care, isn't it, in, in um, hospitals, no one ever lies there and says, I wish I'd worked a bit longer. I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Like, no one ever says that, do they? And obviously it's good. God wants us to work hard. He wants us to prosper. But it can't be our motivating force behind it, can it? You know, I love that. So the world of the generous. I want to be a generous person because we want to expand our world, don't we? We want it to get larger and larger. And I really don't want to be stingy um, and have this small, small world. And there it says as well, it comes with a promise, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. So it's one of those oxymorons, is that it? It's the more you give, the more comes your way. And it's amazing. And the holder you try and tight, tight hold on to things, the less you seem to have and it slips through your hands. So, and my final scripture for now is 1 Timothy 6, 17, 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. We saw that in the 2008 crash, didn't we? We saw that over recent weeks. It is not reliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So there you go. You don't have to just spend all your money on the important things. He wants us to enjoy life. God is like, do you know what? It's not bad to go out and have fun. It's not bad to take your family and go and do something crazy. Like, go and have some fun. It's for our enjoyment. God is interested in us enjoying our life. He is interested in us actually having fun as well. So, but putting your trust in your money, you're just going to be stressed and worried. So, and it goes on to verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So I love that church. So I'm sure, do you know what? We've got so many generous people in our church. We've got so many lovely people. But it's good to just hear that reminder, isn't it? And just to say again, God, show me this week, how can I be generous to someone? You know, even the world does this. And this is what I'm saying. We're not, you know, sometimes the world do it better than the church, which is not great. And they'll do that random acts of kindness or acts of random kindness, isn't it? The ark. And they'll pay for someone's coffee behind them and just say, take this extra fiver and let it cover their coffee or pay for someone's bill across the restaurant. You know, I see people do that in the world. So as the church, it should just be second nature to us, shouldn't it? And I remember Joyce Meyer says, God, just show me someone I can bless today. If I'm having a bit of a stingy, small, horrible day, just say, God, all right, I'm a bit fed up today, but I'm going to go out and show me someone I can bless. And I'm telling you, it's, it's almost selfish because you feel good about it once you've done it and you see the joy on that other person's face. It really releases a joy within you. So that is literally just the tip of the iceberg because as I said, there's a whole other 1,997 references to generosity and giving. So find out about it. Find, you know, go and do your own study on it and, and see how generosity is really on God's heart. So now I'm going to hand the baton over to my husband. Oh no, I'm handing it over to Nikki. 
who is going to come and lead us in another song. Thank you, Nikki. I can't tag you, I'm afraid, so it'll have to be an air tag. Thank you. Love this tag team preaching business. It's great. You get to hear Sarah and um, get to follow the best. You're awesome. The genius of generosity. Now we're going on to the gravity of giving, the importance of giving in our lives. Today, like I said, it's a special day. We're leading towards Vision Sunday. And I want members of Com Church to start to think about their part in the vision And we have to establish how church is going to run and how we're going to move forward. And this is a season in church life where we can think about those things. And I'm going to teach today, just teach what the Bible says about giving and about sowing and those things. So that's what we're here to do. So that's what I'm going to do. Gravity is a law. It's a thing that you cannot bend. If I was to climb up a ladder, I need a couple of guys, actually. Is there a, Josh, would you, let's do it a bit earlier. Is there someone else that could help Joshua? Because, like, we don't want him to do it alone. Wes, would you help Josh for a second? There's a ladder just there that we're going to pull out if you do it now. But if I was to climb that ladder that's coming out now and um, jump off the top, I'm going to go down. I'm not going to go up. We all know it. You don't have to be very old to learn that in life, that if you stumble, you're going to fall. Gravity is a law that you cannot bend without leaving the planet. Gravity is a law that delivers an outcome, an outcome that we all know what it's going to do. Much of the Old Testament in the Bible is written from the perspective of farming and agriculture, so they were, they were farmers or the, the, re, the way they got money into their family was by growing wheat and then selling it or, and that, or trading it for animals. So agriculture was a huge thing in the Old Testament. So when you read the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the example given is planting seed and reaping a harvest. Many of the, um, the things about giving um, relate to giving harvest, sowing seed and reaping a harvest. That was the common example. So you plant a seed and you get a harvest. You plant a seed and you get a harvest. Today, farmers at a certain time of the year, they plant the seed and then at the right time of the year, we know they're going to get a harvest. It's a law like that. Giving is a law in exactly the same way. The same way as magnetic fields and gravity, in the same way as giving, sowing a seed and reaping a harvest. It's exactly the same. In the Bible, there's a word called the tithe. I'm going to explain what that means because we're going to do a little Bible study together this morning. Tithe means 10% in biblical words. At the time... Um, when you got to the beginning of the month, everybody in Bible times would take a look at their positions. They'd see how much livestock they'd gathered, how much hay they'd collected, how much wheat they'd reaped from the fields. And they'd look at the beginning of the month and they'd go, right, I'm going to take 10% of that and I'm going to take it to the temple and I'm going to give it to the priests that were called Levites as per God's requirement in Mosaic law. And that's what everyone would do in a disciplined way. They'd see what they've got at the beginning of the month and give 10%. 
there's a go-to scripture that everybody in every church, anywhere that wants to teach on giving, I haven't ever heard a message and this scripture not be quoted. Malachi 3, 6 to 10. We're going to read it together. Bring the whole tithe, there's that word, 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out as much blessing that you will not be, have room enough to store it. That's the go-to scripture for pastors all around the country. From the time of Jacob in, Je- in Genesis, of God promising his descendants that one day there would be a promised land, the children of Israel have tried and tried to avoid paying the tithe, trying to wink their way out of it, not doing it. And basically, the Old Testament is a story of, of, the, of the children of Israel trying to avoid paying their tithes. And then in Malachi, this scripture comes, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And Malachi says, if you don't bring the tithe into the storehouse, you're robbing God. But he also drove home this message, that when we give our tithe, you can expect God's blessing in abundance. He uses the word floodgates and windows of heaven pour out a blessing that we can't hold and store. Isn't that an amazing promise? He says the one thing that is kind of hard hitting, that we need to be paying our tithe. But at the same time, he says, look at the blessing that we can get. But it's a law. Pay your tithe, be blessed. Pay your tithe, be blessed. That's what he's saying with that. Seed time, harvest. Put a seed in the ground and reap a harvest. It's a law. It's like gravity. The only place I know of in the Bible where God says, test me, test my words, is in that scripture right there. Test him. If you this morning hear my words and you, this, this message lands and you find it a little bit difficult, the Bible says there, Test God in this. Don't test Julian. Don't test Sarah on her generosity message. Test God. He says, test it, prove it. To help us this morning, I want us to go back right to the very beginning, before there was any laws written. So you could almost say, I know a lot of us, we're like, we're like we're, we live in New Testament church. We're, we're under grace now, so the law doesn't apply. So I want to go in the Bible right back to before there was any law before there was. Abraham, pre-law, gave a one-time 10% tithe to Melchizedek. It's one of the first recorded tithes. Other than that, Cain and Abel gave offerings too. And these are the first recorded tithes before any law was ever written. And what they have in common is that they were heart gifts. They were given from the heart. There was no law to make them do it. They chose to give these recorded gifts. And there's one other um, open heaven that is mentioned at the very birth of tithing or giving that 10%. And that's found in Genesis 28, 10 to 32. And I want us um, this morning to really use this, um, the life of Jacob and this story of Jacob to learn something about this tithing business. So, let's take a look. Genesis 28, 10 to 32. This is a little bit long. Jacob was known as the deceiver. A little unfair, I think, to have a nickname like the deceiver for Jacob. Yeah, he, he kind of 
made some mistakes. We don't call David the murderer. We don't, like, we don't still say Jesus is dead because he was once dead. He, came, he rose again and he's alive. He's not the dead one. So he's kind of got this reputation as the deceiver, which I think is a little unfair. He's fleeing um, his brother Esau. Jacob had tricked his brother and father, and his mum had said to him, his mum had said, you need to run away. That's what's happened. He tricked them. He'd been deceptive to them. And, and his mum said, you need to run away. And in the midst of all this chaos in Jacob's life, he received a powerful blessing from heaven on his life. Let's pick up Genesis 28 verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place. We know that when you read the word certain place, it's saying certain place because there's something we should go and look into, something we should find. It's asking a question. It's not telling you exactly where. I want to challenge you on this story. Go and find out about the certain place that it's about to talk about. And stay there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. This is Jacob. And he lay down in that place to sleep. So he took one of the stones from the place that he was, the certain place, and he put his head on it and um, he went to sleep on the stone in the certain place. Then he had a dream and behold, a ladder, there we have our beautiful ladder, reached up into the heavens and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord. I can't carry on. I cannot, I can't carry on with, but, but imagine that that was happening. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. A promise from God. I will give you the land where you've laid your head on that stone. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad the west and the east to the north and the south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put his head on and set it as a pillar. He set it as a pillar and poured oil on it. He anointed it. I can't do that. That's going to fall over. So, so he set a pillar. We're going to do that there. Right there. There's our pillar. And he poured oil on it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. 
And this stone, which I set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. One of the first recorded times that a tenth will be given to God is right here. This amazing story of Jacob talks about the provision of heaven. The top of that ladder ladder is heaven and earth is at the bottom of that ladder. It talks about communion, talking to God and man, man communicating with God. It talks about... um, It talks about the interaction of heaven and earth. It mentions the certain place. I want to encourage you, do a Bible study on it. The presence of God. You'll find it here, Bethel. There is a church called Bethel right now. And um, there's an amazing study about how they got their name. A light, a place on a hill. It's amazing. It's a story of God's presence and how he put a blessing on someone that was actually on the run. And yet God still put a blessing on his life. Ten miles away from Jerusalem, basically the city of Bethel. And God made a promise on Jacob in that story, whilst he was on the run, that he would get the nations, that his descendants would form the nations, and that they would receive this promised land. Jacob then, his response to having an image of heaven and God speaking to him and giving a promise was to build an altar And he started a church, he set a church, he said, this will be the house of God. Let me move my stuff out the way so you can see it a bit better. But he built a pillar and he said, I'm going to do it and surely this will be the house of God. This was his response to the vision that God had given him. You know, it's very similar. Let me put it into today's talk. About 33 years ago, mum and dad, they were, dad got a job. Who's, he's not here this morning, he passed away in April, but he got, um, he got a job in Vauxhall in Luton. And they lived in the Midlands. And on their journey to go to this job in Luton, they stopped at a place called Dunstable. And that's where they bought their house. And that's where they rested their head. And that's where their heads rested in Dunstable. And whilst there, God gave mum and dad a vision that they would, there would be a church and that they would have a church and the that he gave visions like the least should become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. And promises came into their lives that they would start a church and then God would bless them. And this area would be given to us as an inheritance and people would come to know Christ in great ways. And that, on that journey, that they, there was a promise. There was a promise given and they started the church and then they, they put a pillar, they put Dunstable Community Church in the middle of our community in obedience to what God had shown and to what God had sent. And they built that pillar in the place where God had placed them. Now we're, we're their descendants today. We're in Com Church this morning. We're their descendants and those promises apply to us. You know, Jacob never ever went on to pay that tithe. He didn't do it. Jacob never went on to receive the promised land. He never did it. But his descendants did. Jacob's heart response to God was to make a promise. I will give my tithe a tenth of all that you've given me and I will give it back to you. And I'm going to build the kingdom of God in this place, the Bethel, the light on a hill. His descendants took that vow that he made to give 10%. The people that came after his descendants and they said, 
we're going to enshrine that vow in law. So he made that promise at a time there was no law. And then the people that came after said, we're going to make that promise a law. And that's where the tithe, as we know it, and we read in the Old Testament where it comes from. The law was made to reflect this moment in time, the the vision that Jacob had and the vow that Jacob made. The children of Israel over and over again and over and over again, after that, after that story of Jacob's ladder, tried to find ways of not paying the tithe. And that's when Malachi came to the scene and said, here's the message. If you're not tithing, you're robbing God. That scripture that I read first. That's a really seriously quick overview of Old Testament tithing put very, very quickly. But it originated before there was ever a law. I was going to stop there this morning and then I thought it'd be a great time to take the offering. It'd be a good time to take the offering now, wouldn't it? So I um, thought it'd be a great time to take the tithes and offerings and we bring our tithes and offerings. But I just heard screaming in my head members of Com Church that would say this, Julian, we are in the new covenant. Jesus died to break the curse of the law over our lives. I could hear it screaming in my ear. The law doesn't apply anymore. I could hear you guys shouting at me. I could hear it. You're great. Okay then, so let's quickly draw some conclusions from the New Testament to help those people. Is that all right? Jesus in Matthew 23, 23 refers to tithing. And let's read it. Luke also records this in chapter 11. You can read it there too. A lot of scriptures this morning. I hope you're keeping up. This is a great subject. I hope it lands in good, on good soil this morning. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He's addressing the, the religious people of the day. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is Jesus himself speaking. I don't know how to make this live for you, but spices in that day were a a commodity like the stock market exists for us today. So like, like you've got all your money in Bitcoin right now, like you've got all your money in Ripple or whatever it is you do on the stock exchange, I don't know what you do, but whatever it is you do, you've got it there. In the day of the Bible, these trading of spices was just like the stock exchange. Jesus was saying to those people, it might not be the most important things. There's great other things that we need to be considering, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But also, we shouldn't neglect the former. We need to have it all together. Jesus is saying, it's not the most important thing, but we need to have the basics in order. Have you got the basics in order today? Um, If you're paid by a company um, and you're on PAYE with your company, you don't see your tax, do you? I mean, it's hard. It's painful. You see it on your payslip. There's a little amount there that you could have had, but the tax man got it first. Isn't that out of order? Isn't that the most crazy thing you've ever seen? It doesn't ever even hit your bank account. Your tax is is taken. When you go for a mortgage, is there anyone here that's been for a mortgage? You try to make sure that you tell the mortgage company, 
this, my income is as much as possible so that they will lend you as much as possible, don't you? We try to inflate it. We're like, I'm going to find every bit of income I can possibly get and I'm going to tell the mortgage company that I earn £350,000 a year and then maybe they'll give me a load more. That's what we do. We kind of inflate it to tell the mortgage company. We give our gross salary figures our gross salary figures to the car finance company. So they calculate it the best and we get what we can. But sometimes, do we shortchange God? Do we look for the lowest common denominator when it comes to giving to God? I don't know. We say we put Jesus first. We say we put God's house first. But when it comes to finances, do we really? Do we give God the leftovers sometimes? Do we get on with our life business and then what we've got left, we think, do you know what, out of that I can do a little bit there for God's house, for someone else, for generously to bless someone around me. Last night me and Sarah had the joy and with Roger and Rose to go to Lax's house for dinner. Wasn't it amazing? Didn't we have a great time at Lax's house? Has anyone been to Lax's house? I, I just, you, there should be a queue. Go and see Harshi after. Register. Register to go to Lax and Harshi's for a meal. But I've been a few times to Lax and Harshi's house and they're amazing hosts. Never once have I been served leftovers. Never once have they served me the leftovers. I know they've gone out and made the best effort that they possibly could to bless me and to bless Sarah and to bless Roger and Rose. They've put so much effort in, although Sarah's really fussy, um, she's really difficult to cook for. They've, but they never get, they never, um, yeah, they don't cut back. They don't give me the leftovers. Have you ever, have we ever given God the leftovers sometimes? I'm just letting this drop into your spirit. Please don't get mad at me. All right, Mark 12, 41 to 44. Look, I've got a few minutes. We'll get this done. Let's read this together. We're going into the New Testament. We're going into the New Covenant and we're going to look at this tithing business. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he, took, he called the disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty puts in how much? All. How much? That she had her whole livelihood. How much of her livelihood? Whole livelihood. We're in the New Testament now and Jesus seems to be saying 100%. Give all. This woman gave everything, her whole livelihood. Seems to me that Jesus was challenging us, maybe not, maybe not to give equally. Maybe he's interested in equal sacrifice today. As we get to the back of the book, it seems to me to be getting worse. The New Covenant Church, what an amazing chance for us to read. In Acts, there's a model of a New Testament church, which is what we want to be. We want to be a New Testament church. Might be talking nonsense to you if you're a guest here this morning. Like I said, this is an in-house thing. This is for Com Church, and you will be blessed by what we talk about today. But there's a model for a New Testament church found in Acts. 
Acts 4 verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them, all that there were no need that so at working them, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite um, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. They shared everything they had. How much? Everything. No one claimed that their possessions were their own. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No one claimed that they owned anything. They put it in a pot. Everything. Absolutely everything. This is getting insane now. Who said, go to the New Testament? Who told me, go to the New Testament because we live under a New Covenant church? It seems to me that in the New Covenant church, under grace, where Jesus Christ has done so much for us, that everything is called for. Perhaps Jacob's 10% isn't such a bad deal in the light of everything being due to God. Let me put some thoughts together to close this out. I wanted to give a teaching on tithing that we can all receive, understand. And I don't want to add or take away anything. We need to totally understand this subject because it's divisive. It's difficult. Like as soon as you mention in church about money or tithing or all of those types of things, people get a little bit on edge. Oh, I'm not sure I can do any of that. But you know what? We have to talk about it because Jesus did. My convictions, let me give you my convictions for one moment. I found this study really hard. There are so many schools of thought, even schools of thought that tithing is over. It ended at the cross. Give to who you like. Give how much you like. Uh, The law is over. It doesn't really matter anymore. Things like that. But that's not my conviction after doing this study. The tug on my heart does not witness that at all. Jacob with no law, chose to give 10% in response to being in God's presence, in response to receiving God's promise, in response to just God saying, I'm going to bless you in the future. In response to all of that, he chose a 10%. Jesus had done absolutely nothing yet for Jacob when he made that 10%. Absolutely nothing. Under the grace that Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross. Under the grace that he's bought for his church. Under as a new covenant church. We are back where Jacob was. We are exactly back in that moment. We have built a pillar in our community. But we have the knowledge that Jesus Christ has changed our world and changed our life. What are you choosing to give to today? What are you choosing to give? Where are you choosing to give? And how are you choosing to give today? 
At the time Jesus walked the earth, Jews were giving 25, 30% of their income to God and to the synagogue. 10% this morning to me as a church, 10% for us to follow seems like a good deal. From my study and looking at it, the only types of tithing and giving that I can find, it happens between 10% and 100%. And God says to the people, you choose where you are on that, on that scale. This morning there is grace for us to make the choice. Where on that scale am I going to sit? Somewhere between 10% and 100%, it's up to you. 2 Corinthians says this. Let me tell you exactly where it says. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. This is one thing we can learn from. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap. There you go. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. One thing is absolutely for sure. If you sow nothing, you will get nothing. That's what that scripture says. Receive this challenge today if this is speaking to you. Do you put Jesus first in your life, in your finances? Do you put his house first? As pastor of Com Church, I really want us to be that New Testament church that we were reading about and see the things happening that God was doing in those times. We need you to stand with us in regular giving, not out of obligation, not out of tradition, not out of guilt, but we're going to stand together. Mum and Dad, when they anointed the pillar that is Com Church, they said, we will give God a tithe out of what we everything we get we're going to give God back a tithe and as their descendants Sarah and I stand here as the leaders of Com Church and we have said God in response to your challenge to anoint Com Church as the pillar in our society as the pillar in our community we want to sow a tithe and give back to God everything else I can't stand here this morning and say Jesus says to you Give 10%. It's not there. It's not in the New Testament. You won't find it. Other than that scripture, Matthew 23, 23, where he says about not neglecting the former um, and doing that, there's no direct reference of Jesus saying, now the law is dead. Don't give, give your, t-, or he says the, the law is alive. Keep giving your 10%. You won't find it. If I stood here and told you that, I would be presenting the Bible wrongly to you today. It's just not there. But Sarah and I, Like Jacob, when there was no law, we've said the 10% is coming into the house of God. And to the members of Com Church, we want to say the same thing. As descendants of this house, are we prepared to take the promise God has given and activate it and put into practice the law that they then went on to establish as the children of Israel? Tithing was good enough for Jacob, it's good enough for me. If you believe this morning, if you don't believe what I'm saying, talking about giving and generosity, it is the one area that God says, you don't have to worry about what Julian says. You don't have to worry about what Sarah says. You can just come directly and test me in it. 
So I want to encourage you, come church, let's test God. This morning, let's test God in our lives and put prioritize his giving. Let's watch the windows of heaven that are at the top of that ladder open over our lives when we give. I wonder if the praise team could head back and we could all stand to our feet. Um, maybe we could... It does make sense that we take the offering at this point in the service. I, I, I will say that. But we're going to give. What I want to do before we head into Mission Sunday and Vision Sunday next week, and we look about where we're going to head in 2018, I do want us to assess if we got the basics right. If you're sat here this morning and you've never maybe even considered that word tithe before or that 10% and you just don't want to take my word on it, I encourage you to go do a Bible study on the tithe and where it comes from. I've tried to be as balanced as possible this morning and share it with you and share what it is. But as, as a church, it's our thoughts and our ethos that we bring 10% joyfully to God because he gave us everything. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.